Helen's Babies, Part 7. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Helen's Babies by John Haberton, Part 7. There was an awkward pause. It seemed an age. Another blunder, and all on account of those dreadful children. I could think of no possible way to turn the conversation. Stranger yet, Miss Mayton could not do so either. Something must be done. I could at least be honest, come what would. I would be honest. "'Miss Mayton,' said I, hastily, earnestly, but in a very low tone. "'Budge is a marplot, but he is a truthful interpreter for all that. "'But whatever my fate may be, please do not suspect me of falling suddenly into love for a holiday's diversion. "'My malady is of some month's standing. I—' "'I want to talk some,' observed Budge. "'You talk all the whole time. "'I—I—when I loves anybody, I kisses them.' Miss Mayton gave a little start, and my thoughts followed each other with unimagined rapidity. She did not turn the conversation. It could not be possible that she could not. She was not angry, or she would have expressed herself. Could it be that— I bent over her, and acted upon Budge's suggestion. As she displayed no resentment, I pressed my lips a second time to her forehead. Then she raised her head slightly, and I saw— in spite of darkness and shadows, that Alice Mayton had surrendered at discretion. Taking her hand, and straightening myself to my full height, I offered to the Lord more fervent thanks than ever he heard from me in church. Then I heard Budge say, "'I wants to kiss you, too!' and I saw my glorious Alice snatch the little scamp into her arms, and treat him with more affection than I ever imagined was in her nature.' Then she seized Toddy, and gave him a few tokens of forgiveness. I dare not think they were of gratitude. Suddenly two or three ladies came upon the piazza. "'Come, boys,' said I. "'Then I'll call with the carriage to-morrow at three, Miss Mayton. Good evening.' "'Good evening,' replied the sweetest voice in the world. "'I'll be ready at three. "'Budge,' said I, as soon as we were fairly outside the hedge-gate, "'What do you like better than anything else in the world?' "'Candy,' said Budge, very promptly. "'What next?' "'Oranges.' "'What next?' "'Oh, figs and raisins, and dear little kitty-kitties, "'and drums and picture-books, and little bacon-dishes to make mud-pies in, "'and turtles, and little wheelbarrows.' "'Anything else?' "'Oh, yes, great big black dogs, and a goat, and a wagon for him to draw me in.' "'Very well, old fellow, you shall have every one of those things to-morrow.' "'Oh!' exclaimed Budge. "'I guess you're something like the Lord, ain't you?' "'What makes you think so, Budge?' "'Oh, cause you can do such lots of things at once. But ain't poor little Todd gonna have nothin?' "'Yes, everything he wants.' "'What would you like, Toddy?' "'Wants a candy cigar,' replied Toddy. "'What else?' "'Don't want nothin' else. "'Don't want to be boddered with lots of things.' "'The thoughts which were mine that night, "'the sense of how glorious a thing it is to be a man and be loved, "'the humility that comes with such a victory as I had gained, 
the rapid alternation of happy thoughts and noble resolutions, what man is there who does not know my whole story better than I can tell it? I put my nephews to bed, I told them every story they asked for, and when Budge, in saying his prayers, said, "'And bless that nice lady that Uncle Harry specs,' I interrupted his devotions with a hearty hug. The children had been awake so far beyond their usual hour for retiring that they dropped asleep without giving any special notice of their intention to do so. Asleep, their faces were simply angelic. As I stood, candle in hand, gazing gratefully upon them, I remembered a sadly neglected duty. I hurried to the library and wrote the following to my sister. Hillcrest, Monday night. Dear Helen, I should have written you before had I been exactly certain what to say about your boys. I confess that until now I have been blind to some of their virtues, and have imagined I detected an occasional fault. But the scales have fallen from my eyes, and I see clearly that my nephews are angels, positively angels. If I seem to speak extravagantly, I beg to refer you to Alice Mayton for collateral evidence. Don't come home at all. Everything is just as it should be. Even if you come, I guess I'll invite myself to spend the rest of the summer with you. I've changed my mind about its being a bore to live out of town and take trains back and forth every day. Ask Tom to think over such bits of real estate in your neighborhood as he imagines I might like. I repeat it. The boys are angels, and Alice Mason is another, while the happiest man in the white goods trade is your affectionate brother, Harry. Early next morning I sought the society of my nephews. It was absolutely necessary that I should overflow to someone, someone who was sympathetic and innocent and pure. I longed for my sister, my mother, but to someone I must talk at once. Budge fulfilled my requirements exactly. He was an excellent listener, very sympathetic by nature, and quick to respond. Not the wisdom of the most reverend sage alive could have been so grateful to my ear as that child's prattle was on that delightful morning. As for Toddie, blessed be the law of compensation— His faculty of repetition, and of echoing whatever he heard said, caused him to murmur, "'Miff Mayton, Miff Mayton,' all morning long, and the sound gained in sweetness by its ceaseless iteration. To be sure, Budge took early and frequent occasions to remind me of my promises of the night before, and Toddy occasionally demanded the promised candy cigar, but these very interruptions only added joy to my own topic of interest each time it was resumed. The filling of Budge's orders occupied two or three hours, and all the vacant space in the carriage. Even then the goat and goat carriage were compelled to follow behind. The program for the afternoon was arranged to the satisfaction of everyone. I gave the coachman, Mike, a dollar to harness the goat and teach the children to drive him. This left me free to drive off without being followed by two small figures and two pitiful howls. I always believed a horse was infected by the spirit of his driver. My dear old four-footed military companions always seemed to perfectly comprehend my desires and intentions, and certainly my brother-in-law's horses entered into my own spirits on this particular afternoon. They stepped proudly, they arched their powerful necks handsomely, their feet seemed barely to touch the ground, yet they did not grow restive under the bit, 
nor were they frightened even at a hideous steam road-rolling machine which passed us. As I drove up to Mrs. Clarkson's door, I found that most of the boarders were on the piazza. The memories of ladies are usually good at times. Alice immediately appeared, composed, of course, but more radiant than ever. "'Why, where are the boys?' she exclaimed. "'I was afraid they might annoy your mother,' I replied, so I left them behind. "'Oh, mother hardly feels well enough to go to-day,' said she. "'She is lying down.' "'Then we can pick up the boys on the road,' said I, for which remark, my enchantress, already descending the steps, gave me a look which the ladies behind her would have given their best switches to have seen. We drove off as decorously as if it were Sunday, and we were driving to church. We industriously pointed out to each other every handsome garden and tasteful residence we passed. We met other people driving, and conversed fluently upon their horses, carriages, and dress.' but when we reached the edge of the town, and I turned into Happy Valley, a road following the depressions and curves of a long, well-wooded valley, in which there was not a single straight line, I turned and looked into my darling's face. Her eyes met mine, and although they were full of a happiness which I had never seen in them before, they filled with tears, and their dear owner dropped her head on my shoulder. What we said on that long drive would not interest the reader— I have learned by experience to skip all love-talks in novels, no matter how delightful the lovers may be. Recalling now our conversation, it does not seem to me to have had anything wonderful in it. I will only say that if I had been happy on the evening before, my happiness now seemed to be sanctified, to be favoured with the love and confidence of a simple girl scarcely past her childhood, is to receive a greater honour than court or field can bestow." but even this honour is far surpassed by that which comes to a man when a woman of rare intelligence, tact and knowledge of society and the world, unburdens her heart of all its hopes and fears, and unhesitatingly leaves her destiny to be shaped by his love. Women like Alice Mayton do not thus give themselves unreservedly away, except when their trust is born of knowledge as well as affection, and the realization of all this changed me on that afternoon from whatever I had been into what I had long hoped I might one day be. But the hours flew rapidly, and I reluctantly turned the horses' heads homeward. We had left almost the whole of Happy Valley behind us, and were approaching residences again. "'Now we must be very proper,' said Alice. "'Certainly,' I replied. "'Here's a good-bye to happy nonsense for this afternoon.' I leaned toward her and gently placed one arm about her neck. She raised her dear face, from which joy and trust had banished every indication of caution and reserve. My lips sought hers, when suddenly we heard a most unearthly discordant shriek, which presently separated into two, each of which prolonged itself indefinitely. The horses started, and Alice— blessed be all frights now, henceforth and for evermore, clung tightly to me. The sounds seemed to be approaching us, and were accompanied by a lively rattling noise that seemed to be made by something wooden. Suddenly, as we approached a bend of the road, I saw my youngest nephew appear from some unknown space, describe a parabolic curve in the air, ricochet slightly from an earthy protuberance in the road, and make a final stop in the gutter. At the same time there appeared from behind the bend the goat, 
then the carriage dragging on one side, and lastly the boy Budge, grasping tightly the back of the carriage body and howling frightfully. A direct collision between the carriage and a stone caused Budge to loose his hold, while the goat, after taking in the scene, trotted leisurely off, and disappeared in a road leading to the house of his late owner. "'Budge!' I shouted. "'Stop that bawling and come here. Where's Mike?' "'He, boo-hoo, went to, hoo, light his, hoo-hoo-hoo, pipe, "'and I just let the, boo-hoo-hoo, whip, go against the goat, "'and then he scattooed. "'Nasty old goat scattooed,' said Toddy, in corroboration. "'Well, walk right home and tell Maggie to wash and dress you,' said I. "'Oh, Harry,' pleaded Alice, "'after they've been in such danger, "'come here to your own Aunt Alice, Budgie dear, and you too, Toddy.' "'You know, you said we could pick the boys up on the road, Harry. "'There, there, don't cry. "'Let me wipe the ugly old dirt off you "'and kiss the face and make it well.' "'Alice,' I protested, "'don't let those dirty boys clamber all over you in that way.' "'Silence, sir,' said she, with mock dignity. "'Who gave me my lover, I should like to ask?' "'So we drove up to the boarding-house "'with the air of people who had been devoting themselves "'to a couple of very disreputable children, "'and I drove swiftly away again, "'lest the children should dispel the illusion. "'We soon met Mike running. "'The moment he recognized us, he shouted, "'Ay, ye little divils, biggin' your pardon, Master Harry, "'and thankin' the holy mither "'that their good-for-nothin' little bones ain't broke to bits.' "'Av they saw a hippopotamus hitched to Pharaoh's chariot, "'they'd think themselves just the boys to take the bossin' of it, the spalpeens.' "'But no number of ordinary hippopotami and chariots "'could have disturbed the heavenly tranquillity of my mind "'on this most glorious of evenings. "'Even a subtle sense of the fitness of things "'seemed to overshadow my nephews. "'Perhaps the touch of my enchantress did it. "'Perhaps it came only from the natural relapse from great excitement.' "'but no matter what the reason was, "'the fact remains that for the rest of the evening two very dirty suits of clothes "'held two children who gave one some idea "'of how the denizens of paradise might seem and act. "'They even ate their suppers "'without indulging in any of the repulsive ways "'of which they had so large an assortment, "'and they did not surreptitiously remove from the table "'any fragments of bread and butter "'to leave on the piano, in the card-basket, "'and other places inappropriate "'to the reception of such varieties of abandoned property. "'They demanded a song after supper, "'but when I sang, "'Drink to me only with thine eyes,' "'and Thou, thou reign'st in this bosom,' They stood by with silent tongues and appreciative eyes. When they went to bed, I accompanied them by special invitation, but they showed no disposition to engage in the usual bedtime frolic and miniature pandemonium. Budge, when in bed, closed his eyes, folded his hand, and prayed. "'Dear Lord, bless Papa and Mamma and Toddy and Uncle Harry and everybody else, "'Yes, and bless just lots, that lovely, lovely lady "'that comforted me after the goat was bad to me, "'and let her comfort me lots of times, for Christ's sake, amen.' "'And Toddy wriggled, twisted, breathed heavily, "'threw his head back, and prayed, "'Dee, Lord, don't let that old goat throw me into the gutter on my head again, "'and let Uncle Howie and the pity lady be there next time I'd hurted.' "'Then the good-night salutations were exchanged,' 
and I left the little darlings and enjoyed communion with my own thoughts, which were as peaceful and ecstatic as if the world contained no white goods houses, no doubtful customers, no business competition, no politics, gold rooms, stock boards, doubtful banks, political scandals, personal iniquity, nor anything which should prevent a short vacation from lasting through a long lifetime. End of section 7 Read by Kara Schallenberg on January 25th, 2008, in San Diego, California.